quick question. Have you ever missed an opportunity or felt like you just kind of, an opportunity arose and, and you just totally ignored it or overlooked it or come up with reasons and then after, after missing that opportunity you just felt the sting of that? It's kind of like this regret of not doing that. Like you thought, ah, oh, it'll be right. There'll be, another, there'll be another time when I'm able to take that up or... Or there'll be something down the track. And then as this event unfolds and you see everybody kind of posting about it on their socials, you realize that you've missed it. It's gone. The opportunity is gone and that you should have taken it. And there's a little sting in that. Now, a little personal story. And if you are not someone who loves the planet, if you're not someone concerned about ecological sustainability and habitat protection, then this next story might you know, trigger you a little bit, but bear with me. Uh, August last year, I went away on a, um, a pastoral retreat, if you like, with another pastor, our little support crew, just looking after each other and at the same time looking after the planet because that's the kind of people we are. Anyway, day two and we've been doing some hard yards, just hunting in knee-deep water, flooded the whole place, Lachlan River flooded, you had to get everywhere by boat. But we came, we pulled up on a boat, we came to this place that obviously looked like it needed some serious uh, care some serious intervention from ecologically minded people there was a lot of uh, sign of ecological vandalism everywhere however the toll of working in such hard conditions in this knee deep water meant that Matt Kennedy the other pastor who I was there with he couldn't go on he was just clagged out and I said look mate I'll sit back with you here at the boat let these boys go on and he looked at me and he said are you sure about that Look at this place. Uh, look at all the signs of ecological damage. And um, I said, ah, it'll be right, Matt. Don't worry about it. They'll probably see nothing. Have a look at the water they've got to walk through. Within five minutes of making that decision of not pushing on uh, with the group, the sounds of ecological restoration could be heard uh, just ringing out. Just, and they just kept coming. It was like nightfall in Hunger Games. It was just boom, boom. And Matt looked at me and he said, well... You chose to stay here. You chose not to take that opportunity. And I missed perhaps one of the, the best uh, pig shooting uh, chances I'd ever get to have a crack at. And every time I catch up with Az, he's like, hey, how many pigs did we get on that? On that? And I'm like, yeah, shut up, you know, punch in the throat sort of thing. Have you ever missed an opportunity? Live to regret not taking it. Maybe a job offer. Maybe you said no to Bitcoin when it first turned up. You did. Perhaps there's the one who got away. You didn't take up the offer of a date, and every time you see a walk past or him walk past with another jerk, you're like, Ugh. I don't know, but there was a door of opportunity and you didn't take it. I imagine we all have that kind of a story somewhere. In our passage today, Jesus uh, is teaching through some parables there in which he describes a relationship with God as being like a guest at a banquet table just sitting there and reclining and enjoying this new status, this this status of hospitality with God. And he says that many people will spend eternity regretting that they didn't say yes to the door of opportunity to be there. And Jesus is not creating some kind of um, new image of what life looks like. He is reaching back into a well-worn understanding of imagery, uh, 
of, of the prophets, and in particular Isaiah, in which people would come from far away uh, to be with God. This, this image of hospitality, of restored relationship, of people coming from the north and the south and the east and the west, not just merely exclusively from Israel and their people. And the Lord of hosts will make for all people a feast of rich food, of well-aged wine of rich food full of marrow and aged wine refined, like it's just going to be good food, good wine, and good friendship and fellowship with God. Friendship with God, the opportunity to be reconciled into a position of hospitality, of sharing in all the goodness of God and his creation, is something that many people are going to say no to. And they will spend eternity in the anguish of that decision, according to Jesus. It's a little more serious than missing out on a productive pig hunt, uh, you know, an epic sporting event, or some investment opportunity like Bitcoin. Luke, who is writing this account of the life of Jesus, and we know we've been there, he's writing this account from eyewitnesses and, and he's writing under the editorial inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He sets the scene for this little moment in verse 22. He reminds us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And that is a phrase that has been in play. It's controlled everything in Luke's narrative since chapter 9, where Luke tells us that Jesus has set his face His whole intent has been set towards going toward Jerusalem, which for anyone around Jesus at the time seemed like utter madness because everybody knows, everybody around Jesus knows uh, what is waiting for Jesus in Jerusalem is is nothing good at all. In fact, in John's gospel, in John 11, when when Jesus finally talks about heading back down south and and, and the disciples are like, why would you go down there? They're going to stone you. And they come to the realization themselves that, well, let's go and die with Jesus. Let's head back down there. All the gospel writers are agreed on this, that Jesus is very clear that an eternally arranged death awaits him in Jerusalem. Again and again, Jesus tells them and those around him that he's heading to Jerusalem and that he's going to die. And not just die, he's going to be captured, taken prisoner by the religious leaders, tortured, crucified. And then on the third day of this sequence of events, Jesus will publicly expose his power over death and his provision for sin. And he will be raised back to life, vindicating everything he ever said. And this has been the very reason that God veiled himself in flesh, added humanity to his divinity, and turned his face toward Jerusalem. Jesus too knows that Jerusalem is where the ultimate reason for his coming into the world will be accomplished. The great exchange of the death of the God-man for the life and the salvation of sinners. People who who place themselves over God. That's essentially what sin is. It's, it's, the, it's the position of self before God. This is why God has made himself human to walk on this earth as you and I have, so that the promises of centuries of prophets and people who spoke for God would come and be fulfilled, that God would deal with the hostility and the distance that sin creates between humanity and its creator. He would create... An opportunity 
to be reconciled, to be at peace, an opportunity to enjoy relational hospitality with God. And as Jesus approaches his final destination, he began to speak and teach more and more frequently about uh, that the final destination of humanity and how the two are related. In this little section of chapters 12 to 13, he has told those around him to be ready for his second coming, to understand the times, to repent before they perish, to act in accordance with God's concerns, because that will be the the signature that you are God's people. If you weren't here last week and you didn't get to hear Jeff's sermon, strap yourself in and and go and have a listen to it. It's, It's brilliant. But it's into this conversation Uh, on the teaching around end times and final destinations and appropriate responses to Jesus, this anonymous person asks a question. And and it, it was a question that was quite a hot conversation around the people of Israel at the time. Lord, will those who are saved be few? Rabbis of the day all agreed that some people would be saved. And while the figures varied from school of thought to school of thought, there was a consensus that this sum, this small group of people, were all Israelites, except for a few notorious sinners amongst that group of people and and, and tax collectors. Religious, good religious people are in, everybody else is out kind of thinking. But exactly how many? We wonder how many. The question itself seems quite reasonable. There isn't a person alive who isn't interested in the answer uh, to the sealing on the invite list to heaven. But it's also a rather conceptual question, an evasive question. It's a question about other people, really. It's a question that avoids any personal involvement. It's a question that avoids any personal examination. Questions around salvation are important. They, They need to be asked. However, when we ask them in a way that means our inquiry you know, doesn't have to go any further, when we ask them in a way that seeks an answer that means we're kind of off the hook, we're actually asking questions in this kind of peripheral, uh, conceptual nature because we're avoiding personal responsibility. We're avoiding personal evaluation. In verses 23 through to 25... Jesus avoids the benign kind of academic nature of this question and responds by going straight after the person's heart, straight after the person's actual opportunity that is within the question, what it means to be saved, what it requires, what what it will be like, what 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 the experience will be like. And then later on in verses 28, Jesus describes what it's going to be like to, to not be saved. And he takes... Uh, it from a question that relates to unknown others to a pragmatic, uh, personal question about you. Have you taken up the offer of salvation? Don't worry about the opportunity of others. Don't worry about the numbers and the speculation. What about you? Cyril of Alexandria, he's a 5th century church father, he comments that Jesus is purposely silent to the useless question, but proceeds to speak on what is essential. And what is essential is the destiny of one's eternal soul. 
Verses 24, Jesus says, or he's saying in effect, don't be all shooey right about this question and your soul. Don't, don't put this opportunity off for later on, but rather strive. Get about the business of, of entering through this narrow door that he brings into play. Because that is the door of opportunity to enter into the hospitality of God, into his salvation. However, it's a door that will not always offer this opportunity. It's a door that one day will close. So while it exists, while the opportunity is there, make every effort to go through that door rather than find excuses of of putting it off, of deferring it. Hey, good news. There's a door. There's a door because of Jesus, his death and his resurrection. He's dealing with our sin. There is a way to know God and enjoy him forever. There is a particular way in which to be saved and it's open and you can peer through it and see where it goes. There is a way to see God and a way also to enter into his kindness, his goodness, his hospitality, his acceptance and fellowship. Now, Jesus describes this door as singular and narrow. The singularity and the narrowness of this door no doubt captures the uniqueness and the exclusivity of the means of salvation. And if this door was to have a little title over the top of it, it might read something like, in faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. But the narrowness also describes the why you must strive Striving is not the saving, it is the discovering. Salvation is always uh, the grace and the work of God. But you don't go through this door accidentally. It's a narrow door. It takes intentionality. You know when you've gone through this narrow door. You know when you've taken the opportunity. Nor do you go through it without seeking it. It's a door that requires that you know where it is found, why it opens up to you, namely the person of Jesus. And he has offered atonement for sin. The narrowness of this door means that you can't bring a bunch of baggage or your own attainments through it. As Richard uh, Koken says, you go through this door entirely dependent on what is on the other side of this door, not what you can bring through. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like the portal in Terminator. You go through the bare essentials, like literally the bare essentials. Perhaps not this door. This door, though, will one day be closed to you, either through your own death or the return of Jesus. Now, both of these things seem conceptual, some time away. They never seem too immediate. But as I have learned over the past weeks, the door can close quicker than you'd like. On May the 4th, I spoke to my dad about how he wanted his brother's funeral to go. I got all the information from him. He seemed happy. Everybody was happy. Let's get into it. I said, righto, Dad, take it easy. I'll talk to you later. They were the last words that I would say to my dad. Four hours later, his door closed. We knew it was coming. We knew it was soon, but it was still conceptual. It wasn't real until it actually happened. Jesus says, strive until your last breath. Be about the business of entering through that narrow door while while it's still open to you. Don't ask questions about others. 
Like, what, what about those people who haven't heard about this door? The Centrelease people uh, on the Amanda Islands, the sex slave in India. What about all those people on that train in India, the peop- uh, war orphans in Somalia? Jesus is not addressing their d- eternal destinations. He's not addressing speculative questions that take the heat off us. Jesus is addressing people who have heard the gospel. Look, read verses 26 to 27. These people are all well aware of Jesus. They've been in his presence. They've listened to his message. They're not without knowledge of the door. Just like every single person in this room today. Just like every single person who is listening online, who have heard the door described, the opportunity to know Jesus, but then say, well, it's not for me just now. But I can't fit all my stuff through that door the way it's shaped. Jesus says there is a door and you must strive toward its opportunity to enter in while you can. Don't put it off. It will close. And once it closes, the side of the door on which you stand is fixed. It, it, it doesn't change. It can't change. It's like the door at those theatres. I don't know if you've ever been to the theatre. If you've ever gone to the theatre late and you've tried to convince the doorman at Her Majesty's Theatre that despite the fact that you know very well that once the show opens, no one's opening that door and no one's going through. But you feel like you should be let in regardless of the fact that you put off leaving on time, you put off sort of getting ready to go. If this guy had seen, though, once you got going, what you'd been through to get there, the amount of red lights you'd run, little kids you'd run over, people in prams, then he'd be so impressed he'd let you in. That never happens. And some of us are like that with God. We try and treat God like this. We think we can uh, put God off and then we can talk him around. We think that we can have all these legit excuses for why we should be led into heaven. And Jesus is saying here, That is a very dangerous game to play with your soul. Strive while the door is open, while the opportunity exists. In verses 25 through to 27, we see there is going to be a lot of people who find themselves on the wrong side of the door, thinking they they should still be let in. So they begin to name drop and list all of their social and casual kind of superficial acquaintances with Jesus. But Jesus has some strong words for these kind of self-entitled and privileged people. He doesn't actually know them. Uh, Richard Koken, who I mentioned earlier, gives this brilliant analogy, and I've transported it from England uh, to here. Imagine, if you will, that Clive and Todd, two high school teachers who have just, they've just got a job at Frankston High, and they're looking on the internet, they're going through the domain sort of um, internet thing, and they're looking for somewhere to stay. And they come across this ad that says, uh, double story uh, Mount Martha Mansion. It's on the Esplanade down there, uh, overlooking Hawker's Beach. It's got a gym and a swimming pool, eight-car garage, and then 50 bucks a week. Clive and Todd can't believe it. 
they ring and they speak to the owner. He says, yeah, it's legit. Turns out he's a Bitcoin billionaire. Going away for some time, just wants someone to look after his place and stay in touch with him and, and just let him know how things are going and just enjoy his mansion. But stay in touch. These two lads can't believe it. They move in. Uh, Todd's a party animal. He takes the upstairs floor. And before long, him and all his mates totally trashed the joint. It is a mess. And the neighbours are thinking it won't be long until he's kicked out. Surely he can't stay in his house. Clive, on the other hand, is a bit of a neat freak. He keeps the place immaculate and everything's in order and dutifully attended to. Like the grass is cut in a particular lean, the tissue boxes, whatever. He's doing his thing. Neighbours are thinking, oh, this guy will be able to stay forever. He'll get both floors. However, when our Bitcoin billionaire returns, he evicts them both. We shocked the neighbours because they thought surely Clive would stay. He appeared to be the perfect tenant. When the neighbours pressed the owner on why he evicted them both, he said, yeah, I know they acted differently, but the truth of the matter is that they both treated me the same. Yeah, one trashed my house and the other admired it, but neither of them bothered to know me. Neither of them bothered to stay in touch with me. They both lived like I didn't exist. They never responded to my emails. It was as if my kindness, the opportunity I'd given them, meant utterly nothing. They must think I'm some kind of fool. They simply just didn't bother with the owner of the mansion. And there will be people who think that because of their good conduct, that they deserve to be in the mansion at the banquet, enjoying the eternal hospitality of God. But the truth of the matter is that while we may live different lives, some of us living utterly reckless, leaving wreckage everywhere, and, and, and in our hearts we kind of know that we're estranged from God. We know. And some of us living great with great morality, social approval. We'd be a loving, a great addition to God's guest list. But it turns out that, that both have treated God the same way, living in his world, enjoying the privileges of life that he affords us, but treating him as though he's not there. They keep putting off dealing with God, as though he doesn't matter. We're happy to take his stuff, but we ignore and push aside any opportunity to know him. And there's nothing in us that he, would, that he would recognize as belonging to his heart or his concerns for creation. There's nothing about us that resonates or resembles his son. So he says, I don't know where you're from. We don't share the same citizenship. You're from a different place than the one that this banquet's all about. Now, God knows us. He knows us with intimate detail but what he is looking for is his character ruling our lives that's what it means to be saved and it takes place before the door gets closed not after he is looking for love of his ways he is looking for, for the expression of his values and his design. He's looking for, to see in us a, a, a love of what he has said about the appropriate use of sexuality, a love of what he has said about the appropriate use of money, of how to run a business, of how to treat the poor or the environment. 
To be saved is to know God and live in accord with his grace, his goodness, and his guidelines. There's a communal dimension to salvation already experienced before the door is closed. A family DNA integrated by a decision to strive toward orientating your life around the purposes of God. We call it repentance. And striving to have your life shaped by Jesus in community with others. Growing in faith relationally. We we spent 10, 13 weeks looking at that in Philippians. What side of the door you end up on will not be based on your apparent goodness or badness. But whether you strive to know God through the opportunities that were provided. And there is a big difference between friendship and uh, social superficial familiarity. Now, I know Matthew Delavadeva. We shared the odd text. He'd shake my hand if I saw him. We even like each other, I think. He's great with Bitcoin, by the way. But I'm not going to his birthday party or the wedding of his kids, or kid. And if I tried to gate crash, he'd say, hey, it's not appropriate for you to be here, Rev. We don't, we don't know each other like that. Not yet anyway, but we're working on it. A lot of people will say, let me in. I'm very familiar with you, Jesus. Read your book. I've been to that church freeway at least, well, at least once a month, you know, when there wasn't something else that took my preferences. I tithed. I sent you prayers. I did. I did. But Jesus will say, your works, your efforts of striving outside of me, outside of, of a relationship with me, are not appropriate for this table. In fact, trying to get in on your own credentials, on what you've done, on some superficial social acquaintance, is actually a work of evil. It's not an experience of grace. In verse 28, Jesus says, Those on the outside will have an eternity to regret not taking the opportunity to receive the hospitality of God made possible through Jesus. Describes it as the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. It's a picture of anguish. And it is a picture designed to make you strive to not be casual about the opportunity to find the narrow door of salvation. To have your life shaped by the offer of grace. Jesus is lovingly warning you that it will be dreadful to find yourself on the wrong side of that door. Everything good about what it is to be human will be around that table, will be in the presence of God. And the last question you want on your lips is, why didn't I do something? Finally, there in verses 29 to 30, Jesus makes it clear that while the door is narrow, And it takes intentionality and acknowledgement to go through it. That is a door that welcomes everybody. No one is turned away from this door. In fact, it will surprise some of the people who have been excluded on who has been included. Jesus paints a picture of who's sitting around this table. And of course, there's Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the prophets. Jesus is grounding this banquet in real history, real people. This is not a Disney story. But then the people 
from unknown corners of the world, people without uh, racial, ethnical, uh, eth- ethnical association or without geographical association, without the heritage and the pedigree of Israel, are going to be around this banquet table. It seems like this door is a very, very inclusive door. And the only thing you need to get through this door is to actually recognize your need of the door. The door of the big reversal. The first shall be last and the last shall be first. The economics of the banquet table. It's a picture that exposes something. A picture uh, of people who in many people's eyes would in a worldly sense have been very successful, very deserving of being put on the front cover of Time magazine or the Herald Sun. There is plenty to say about their achievements, but they are simply not able to hold a conversation about the goodness of their host. And that's why they find themselves on the wrong side of the door. They aren't able to say what he has done for them. They can't describe his attributes and the achievements that he has done, that have drawn them through the door. They are not able to share about his forgiveness, his love, his grace, his mercy. They can't talk about his seeking them. He's confronting their sin and yet making them whole. So they are cast out. They are not in the banquet. I had a friend up in Wodonga and he was the associate pastor at the Wodonga chapter of Kingdom Hall. We became acquaintances uh, when he knocked on my drawer and tried to convince me about the merits of a, of a cult, Jehovah's Witnesses. He was incredibly familiar and good with his biblical text and, and the precepts of the watchtower. And we'd go round and round in circles about what a particular text meant and the interpretation of it. And then one day I just said to him, hey, hey tell me about your relationship with Jesus. Tell me what he's like to you. And he said, well, you know, the watchtower. And I said, mate, Spence, don't worry about the watchtower, brother. Your personal relationship with Jesus, what's that like? He looked at me as if I was asking him to describe a complete stranger. What of you? What of you? Is Jesus just a social Superficial reality, not a friend who shapes your life, whose company, whose experience is going to form the content of the conversations that are appropriate to have around the banquet table. Don't ask speculative conceptual questions that are really reasons for delay or deferral. Make every effort to take the door of opportunity while it's open. Jesus is literally calling. Jesus is literally offering the opportunity of eternal hospitality with Jesus. That's what the Gospels are all about. He doesn't deal in the speculative, though. He deals in relationships. Let's pray. Loving God, we thank you that you are not a God who has orphaned us to our own ends and our own devices because of our um, abandonment of you ourselves. We thank you that you have uh, made a way, an opportunity, a door for us to come back into relationship with you. 
I don't know where each heart is at, but my prayer is that if there is someone on the wrong side of that door at the moment, and the Holy Spirit is calling you through, don't delay. Don't be putting that off. Begin to enjoy the fellowship of God now. Begin to enjoy the goodness of Jesus. Fill your life with content that you can talk about around the banquet table. Don't fill your life with content of regret. Regret.